You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is episode... 107 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet. Today is April 28th, 2021. This is not just episode 107 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is also episode 42 of season three. For any Douglas Adams fans out there who are familiar with his Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, I thought it would be fun a little bit to read for you a extended monologue that I typed up in honor of the fact that this is episode 42 in Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The supercomputer Deep Thought operates for seven and a half million years to spit out the answer, 42. But by that time, nobody remembers what the question was in the first place. So then another supercomputer, this one none other than our very own planet Earth, is designed by a race of hyper-intelligent, ultra-capable galactic house mice to figure out what the original question was. In Fools, Frauds, and Firebrands by Roger Scruton, he talks quite a lot about the thinkers of the new left who obfuscate the nonsense of their philosophies by burying the lack of meaning in a lot of complicated speech that's difficult to get through. Yesterday also, I finished up Children of Ash and Elm by Neil Price, the first and only definitive and dedicated history of the Vikings as a people I have ever come across. And I find it remarkable how the author takes little detours throughout the work to toss in woke-sounding modern conceptions of the patriarchy, gender theory, and the like. He apparently is looking to the Vikings for some kind of primeval precedent for the present-day revelry, chaos, and confusion regarding gender and sexuality. Yet the contradiction that makes so little sense to me is that for all the efforts Price makes at portraying Viking society as open, inclusive, and tolerant, We must remember that the Vikings are so well known to us because of their savagery, brutality, and penchant for murderous raids. They callously took slaves and sacrificed men, women, and children to their pagan gods. They bludgeoned, threatened, and generally terrorized all within their grasp for hundreds of years. And yet we are to extol their virtues as some kind of throwback precursor of a modern secular fantasy of living in a society where gender and sexuality are merely a social construct. In other words, the madness of this present age, and moreover of all ages in which sinful men hold sway and revel in their own and one another's wickedness, is in loving and embracing death romantically, so long as we can find refuge in it from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Christ Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father. One final thought and this is in response to some feedback I got from my neighbor, J.P. Chavez, after he listened to episode 104, Choosing the Seventh Audiobook. I may be speaking as much from my own human frailty and ignorance to dismiss study Bibles. How's that for a quick synopsis of what I would like to talk about this morning? From the top, I read Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in high school, I had a friend at the time, Stephen Williams, with whom I have since 
pretty much lost all contact. I still had him as a friend on Facebook before I deleted my Facebook account forever back in November. And Stephen Williams was into science fiction, and I was into science fiction, and he was into strategy games, and I was into strategy games. And he recommended his beloved series by Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, I can't remember and recall for you all of the books in the series. I don't think I ever read all of the books in the series. So Long and Thanks for All the Fish is one of them. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is another one. But I remember reading the book or books and thinking to myself that this was a very different kind of science fiction to Isaac Asimov, which I had been reading before that based on the recommendation of a Buddhist cousin of my mother, whose name now also escapes me because I'm not very good at remembering names for whatever reason. I just draw a blank. It might have been Brian. Sure, we'll go with that. In any event, my mother's cousin had recommended a whole lot of science fiction and fantasy to me when we were staying with my 104-year-old great-grandmother, Polly, Polly Long, or Paula Long. She was called Polly, but her first name was Paula. She lived in Levittown, New York, the first suburb ever. And I think she might have been one of the first occupants of that suburb. But Paula and her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren had a very interesting dynamic within the family. And it was an opportunity when we went out there for a few weeks in my teenage years, my mother, my brother, and myself, to get to know our roots a little bit better. And so while we were there, my great aunt Janice Voltz and her son and her daughter-in-law and her granddaughter were all together in this house talking and getting to know one another for a couple of weeks. And at one point I got to talking with my mother's cousin about The Lord of the Rings and how the movie had just come out. That gives you some idea of time frame when this was. The first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring by Peter Jackson, had recently come out, and I had seen it with some friends, the Swains back in Ohio, and I was enamored. Everybody was all excited about Lord of the Rings at the time, and I had never read the books. And so I asked my mother's cousin if he had seen the movies, and he said he did not want to see the movie because... He grew up reading Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and he didn't want it to be ruined. He knew that the movies could never be as good as the books, and he would rather just not have the books ruined for him. But along the way, he recommended some other books that he had also read that I might like if I liked Tolkien. He recommended that I read the books by Tolkien, which I then did and one of the other book series that he recommended to me was the Foundation Trilogy by Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov was a brilliant science fiction writer, very smart. I think also the Foundation series is being turned into a TV show. I could be mistaken on that. Either Amazon or Apple or one of these other big platforms, streaming platforms, is trying to make it into a TV series as they compete with one another for viewers. But... 
Along the way, I'm reading a lot of science fiction that is very serious. I'm reading H.G. Wells' Time Machine. I'm reading Frank Herbert Dune, which is another one that uh, my mother's cousin, I think his name was Brian, had recommended. Frank Herbert's Dune novel was another one that was just epic, and it was brilliant, and it was very smart and serious. It was serious stuff. It was weighty stuff. Lord of the Rings was weighty stuff. The Foundation Trilogy was weighty stuff. And then I come to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it is the opposite of that. It is humorous and funny, and it doesn't take itself seriously at all on the surface. Yet, underneath the surface, when you're paying attention, and in hindsight... I realized that Douglas Adams really was trying to make a lot of serious points by being funny, by getting your attention through humor. So he comes up with this funny story, this backstory for why Earth has to be demolished. There is an intergalactic highway that's being put in by some alien race, and they have decided that Earth is in the way. So this is poking fun at imminent domain and how people's homes are sometimes taken, their properties are taken from them because the community, the city, the state decides that a highway needs to be where your house and property and home are. They take the home and then they build the highway over top of what used to be your domicile. And so here we are in Douglas Adams' sci-fi world and the whole earth is in the way for this intergalactic highway. So the earth is going to be destroyed. And all of this is presented to you in a very nonchalant, humorous, matter-of-fact sort of a way as a satire. The main character, Arthur Dent, ends up being saved from certain destruction with the rest of these earth people by Ford Prefect, an alien who has been hiding out on Earth, looking like a human being, but he is not. And as they travel around the galaxy, they encounter other alien life, and they have odd, whimsical adventures. And it's not to be taken too seriously, and yet there is a kind of nihilism, really, inherent to the whole series. What does it all mean? Why does it matter? Who cares? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, is sort of the philosophy, if I may, that I interpreted or wondered about, thought of, was reminded of, am reminded of when I think of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It doesn't take itself seriously because it doesn't think that there is necessarily a great value in taking life too seriously. So many people take life too seriously when life has no meaning. You're here, and then you die, and that's it, and no more. Now, I'm not an expert on Douglas Adams. I don't know for a fact that he was a nihilist. I just conclude that from reading his book. But it's funny, the more that I have studied these authors of great works, famous works of science fiction and fantasy, the more I've realized that whether they want to or not, their worldview bleeds into their books. 
doesn't matter if you're writing fiction or nonfiction. You cannot help writing what you know. And if you don't know anything, you can't write anything. Communication is about shared meaning. And so you have to write what you know, and you have to write it in a way that is clear to your audience. Sometimes people intentionally obfuscate and muddy the waters, or they try to conceal what it is that they really truly believe, because maybe they're not proud of that. Maybe they're embarrassed of it. Maybe they're still working it out, and maybe that's what they know. They know that they're still trying to figure it out, and so that comes through in their writing. They're still searching. They're still exploring. They're still pondering, or maybe they were, and all they know is that they don't know, and they don't think they ever will know, and so now let's just kick back, have a few beers, and laugh about it, because what's the point in getting too worked up about something that we can't affect, we can't change. Roger Scruton in Fools, Frauds, and Firebrands, which I should be finishing here shortly, writes a lot of things that I, quite frankly, don't understand fully. It's hard to keep up with the names because I am not a philosophy major. Even though I read books on philosophy, I'm a bit of a generalist. I'm a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I'm not a master of philosophy. I'm not an expert on these things. And just like I have trouble remembering my mother's first cousin's name, I have even more trouble remembering the names of these philosophers, these personalities of the new left, keeping them straight. Okay, wait a second. Who was that guy? And why? What? Huh? It's complicated, but it's a relief to me. As I was listening yesterday, I got home, I was taking a shower, I had my Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom, and I'm listening to some more of this book, trying to get to the next half hour mark, because that's a little eccentricity that I have that very few people to know people know about. I try to listen to audiobooks, especially the long ones, until I get to the nearest half hour mark left. So I'll try and stop it at eight hours and 30 minutes left of the book, or I'll try and stop it at eight hours even, or I'll try and start it out uh, maybe nine and a half hours, and I'm going to listen until I'm at nine hours, for instance. So I was trying to get to the next half hour stopping point so that maybe I can just finish this book this morning or today on my drive home, all told. And in Fools, Frauds, and Firebrands, Roger Scruton points out that a few of these thinkers of the new left write intentionally in a way that buries what it is that they're trying to say. It's a maze and a bridge that goes nowhere, and you're just supposed to get lost in the verbiage and at a certain point conclude that they're very smart and you're very dumb and you couldn't possibly understand these things, and so you should just take their word for it. Well, that is convenient to Marxism because... If they told you flat out in simple human terms what Marxism is about, you'd be horrified. And actually, if you ever pick up a history book and you read a history that wasn't put out by Pravda or CNN, if you read a history book that isn't edited by the New York Times or the Democratic Party in the United States of America, if you read a history book of communism in practice and just look at it for what it really is, you will be horrified because it's a terrible idea. And it's not much better than the Vikings going around raiding and pillaging whoever they could reach, whoever they could find, whoever they were stronger than. The reason that these thinkers of the new left 
had to obfuscate the meaning of what they're trying to say and what they're advocating is because it's nonsense. You can't dress it up. All you can do is try to hide it until it's too late. Hide it so that the weak-minded, the useful idiots, as Vladimir Ilyich Lenin would say, the useful idiots in the West will think that this sounds like a really good idea, and then they'll hoist it on their countrymen. And in the chaos, you'll laugh grimly to yourself that you've got another one. I read Neil Price, Children of Ash and Elm, about the Vikings, and I find myself scratching my head and furrowing my brow and shaking from side to side my noggin as he talks about how the Vikings were open-minded and tolerant and inclusive. And there was one in Iceland who was known as the Blackskin and might have been an African, and he was welcome, and it didn't matter so much what the color of his skin was because his bravery and martial prowess and ruthlessness and cunning and his willingness to fit in with Viking society is all that matters to the Vikings. All we really care about, guy, is can you hold an axe and wear a helmet with horns on it? I'm exaggerating for comedic effect, obviously, but it's ironic that the Vikings get extolled for having, at some point in their chronicles and their sagas, some black man in their midst who was welcomed. That Neil Price would extol the virtues of the Vikings because they sometimes were matter-of-fact about homosexuality. This guy goes both ways. So what? He's really good at pillaging. That's all we care about. Odin is not a moral figure, but we don't care about that so long as he gives us a reprieve from the God of the Bible and his morality, which we find restrictive because we're wicked. The truth about God, which has been clearly visible since the beginning, the invisible qualities of our creator are plainly known, and yet men like Neil Price and men like the Vikings love darkness because their deeds are dark, because they are corrupt. They love to hide their meaning like these thinkers of the new left that Roger Scruton talks about. They love the darkness. They love confusion. They love chaos because they can exploit chaos and confusion and darkness to get what they want. It was remarkable to me as I was reading Neil Price and he talks about the founders of the Rus, the Kievan Rus, which eventually became the Russian Empire and then the Russian Federation after the Soviet Union. And he says that during the heyday of the USSR, that the Soviets actually were uncomfortable with the Scandinavian origin of their people. They didn't like talking about themselves as the descendants of Vikings. They preferred, for whatever reason, I still don't fully understand, I have to read more about this somewhere else apparently, they preferred emphasizing their Slavic roots. That tells me that it's 6.15 a.m. You can tell how much earlier I'm starting today because I got yesterday's episode all primed and ready and scheduled to publish 
today, last night, instead of doing it this morning when I first woke up before recording a new episode. In any event, the USSR wanted to emphasize their Slavic roots, not their Scandinavian roots. Is this because they thought of the Slavs as being the working class? And they thought of serfs as being the folks for which the founders of the Bolshevik Revolution originally were claiming to advocate and argue, and they thought of the Vikings as too close to the aristocracy, which the Soviet system was supposed to displace, replace, throw down, destroy, abolish. The irony is that a lot of this is pots calling kettles black. So you have, in the case of Neil Price, a subtle but persistent and unmistakable dismissal of Christianity, Christian morality, an embrace of these new left woke ideas of inclusivity, of tolerance, of social constructs, of critical theory, of oppressor versus oppressed. And yet what could be more oppressive than a longship full of Vikings descending on your village to murder you with an axe, to sacrifice your child to a pagan god, and to haul your wife off into slavery. What could be more oppressive than that? I can't think of hardly anything except Neil Price can. What he thinks is more oppressive than that is the God of the Bible telling you you were born a man, and so you're a man. You were born a woman, so you're a woman. He created them male and female. In his image, he created them. Again, the madness of this present age is in loving and embracing death romantically so long as we can find refuge in it from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Christ Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father. Men who hate God love death, the scriptures say. I referenced it in my opening monologue but I'd like to expand on it some more with the time that I have left in this episode. I had a text message from J.P. Chavez, and J.P., thank you. Thank you, and God bless you, and you are a dear friend of mine. I love that we can talk about books, and I love that you listen to this podcast and that you talk with me about what you're in it. Everybody else uh, is second place, and some of you are a distant second, Uh Lauren talks with me. Actually, maybe Lauren's first place. She talks with me about this. Calm down, honey. I, I can hear you now. I love you. I love you dearly. Thank you for listening to my episodes, Lauren. But JP is, other than my wife, the person who listens, and I know that he listens. I have proof that he listens because he talks with me about what I mentioned on this podcast. And I appreciate that, and I appreciate that we can suggest books back and forth, talk about ideas, not just say, hey, you should read this, but what did you think of it? And I, I enjoy that very greatly. One of the texts I got here recently was in regards to episode 104, choosing the seventh audiobook. And it was not the main subject of the episode, but I did talk, as I was mentioning, reading Paul L. Meyer's the Church History by Eusebius, a translation and commentary, all rolled into one, which, to be clear, I didn't care for. I still am not caring for because I don't think that it's 
recording. I don't think the audiobook was handled and organized very well. But I mentioned in passing, as I'm going through that, how I don't care for study Bibles. In fact, if I could have it my way, I would just read Bibles without chapters and verse numbers. Just give me the text straight. And what's more, I'd like to, if I could find the time, someday, maybe, when I retire, if, God willing, I retire someday, if I live so long and am so fortunate, I'd like to learn Greek and Hebrew and be able to read these things in the original text, in the original language, to perhaps know them better, to perhaps understand them better. But I don't care for study Bibles for a similar reason to why I don't care for book and chapter numbers and verse numbers. And so I said as much, I said that I don't care for commentaries. I don't like that the commentary has footnotes down at the bottom of the page, and sometimes there's as much in the commentary as there is in the actual verse. And so what am I reading here? Am I reading the verse or am I reading this person's interpretation of the verse? Am I reading their thoughts and sometimes getting them muddied? And God bless J.P. Chavez. He says he has three study Bibles. And I won't be able to remember exactly which three they are on cue here. If I, if I took a minute, I would remember what all three of them are. I think Reformation Study Bible is one. John MacArthur's Study Bible is another. I don't remember the third. But he has three. And he says they're valuable. They're valuable study guides. That's what the point is. They're study Bibles to give you some historical context, to give you a little bit more explanation, maybe to reference some other verses in relation to this one so that you're interpreting these passages in a hermeneutically sound way. Context is king as you're interpreting the text. And that's good. That's well. Maybe it's a personality thing. It might be, as I said before, speaking as much from my own human frailty and ignorance that I don't care for study Bibles. That could be a lack of discipline on my part, a lack of mental discipline. It could be me being stubborn. I've never heard anybody else, by the way, say that they don't care for study Bibles. I've never heard that. I don't get that idea from anybody else. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe the secret is other people don't say those kinds of things because they're dumb and I don't have the good sense to... (laughs) (laughs) to not say those things. Uh, Sometimes when nobody else is saying what you're saying, it's because you're original. Sometimes when nobody else is saying what you're saying, it's because that was stupid. Don't say that, you know. Um, But just being honest, right? I'm just being upfront. It's a quirky, uh, eccentric opinion that I have, probably. But I don't really care for study Bibles. I I don't mind all the same content that is usually in the footnotes being in a separate work. If I had them side by side, maybe some people feel like that's not very efficient. Why would you do that? Uh, But I wouldn't mind having all of what is in a Reformation study Bible or a John MacArthur study Bible in a separate work right beside my Bible to where in my mind they're clearly demarcated, delineated, separate. This is the text. This is God's word. This is scripture over here. This is what John MacArthur thinks of it. 
this is what the Reformation leaders think of it. This is what fill-in-the-blank has to say about it. I think a part of my aversion to footnotes and study Bibles comes from growing up listening to a lot of answers in Genesis material, by the way. Early on, we picked up some old books about dinosaurs in the Bible, possibly in which the references in Job to Leviathan and Behemoth are explained in a way that makes a lot of good sense to me as being potential allusions to dinosaurs. This might have been a plesiosaur, for instance. This might have been a sauropod, for instance. What's being described here could be a dinosaur. And within the biblical literal interpretation of creation being six days, sun, moon, day, night, 24-hour periods, God created on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day, rested on the seventh day. Those were literal 24-hour periods. Looking at the genealogies as literal, this person lived for 967 years, literally. Not 96.7. This is not a placement error. You didn't just lose a decimal. 967 years. That's how old he was. Well, that doesn't make sense to the modern naturalistic thinker who assumes that things have always been as they are now or worse because we're evolving, because Darwin's theory flatters us. It tells us what we want to hear and think about ourselves, that we are the pinnacle of human achievement in our day. We don't want to hear what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, that there is no new thing under the sun. We don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that. No, 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 no. I want to think of myself as original. I want to think of myself as clever. I want to think of this car and this airplane and this air conditioning and this television and this Wi-Fi and this podcasting thing. I want to think of all of that as being something that has never existed before, which I created because I, in my universe, in my mind, am God. And besides me, there is no other. That's how, in our day and age, we want to think of ourselves. And that's why Darwin's theory is taught in schools. That's why it's shown to you in every documentary you're going to watch that isn't explicitly in the minority from Christians who believe God's word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. We believe in evolution because we don't want to believe in creation. Because if we believe in creation, then we have to believe in a creator. And if we believe in a creator, then the next step is we believe in a judge. We believe that we are made on purpose for a purpose. And that we can't just eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. We were bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves. Therefore, honor God with your body. We don't want to believe that. And so we would rather make the Vikings into some kind of a woke heroic race that represents what we would like to aspire to. Of course, we'd like to modify a few things, maybe correct a few bad habits, maybe a little less bearded axes embedded in the skulls of our enemies, maybe, but that's where we're at. And I remember growing up and listening to Ken Ham, for one, with Answers in Genesis. I met him one time, shook his hand, he signed a copy of one of my books that he, I I owned, he, he had written, but 
I owned a copy of one of his books, asked him to sign it after one of the several times that I had the privilege of hearing him speak. We lived in southern Ohio, and he came through and he visited churches in the area. And I remember him speaking a number of times about how the footnotes in a lot of study Bibles, in a lot of commentaries in our day and age, when theistic evolution is embraced because Christians are afraid of disagreeing with the majority, they're afraid of being accused of being anti-science, they're afraid of being dismissed as science deniers. These commentaries and these footnotes were saying that Leviathan and Behemoth were probably describing a crocodile or an elephant. An elephant with a tree like a cedar makes zero sense. A sauropod dinosaur with a tree like a cedar, on the other hand, makes a lot of sense. So ever since then, and that was early, as I'm trying to unpack why it is that I have this aversion, why do I have this opinion of study Bibles that I do? Ever since then, I've been very wary of, for one thing, thought-for-thought translations of the text, because I think that too much of our own thinking gets put in, as we're paraphrasing, and that can be hard to distinguish. The Message Bible might have a use. I owned one once upon a time. I have nowhere, no idea where it went at this point, but it might have a use, might be in some measure helpful for some people. But give me Jesus. I want the words of Jesus. Straight. Give it to me straight. No chaser. No ice. Just what he said. Because I don't trust people to impartially, faithfully communicate these things except by God's grace through his spirit. Commentaries might have a lot of helpful information, but they also might have a lot of distracting information. They might have helpful information about who this king was, what else happened in his reign, who was living at the same time that this book was being written, what had just happened historically that might have been in the minds of the audience, the original recipients of this letter or this book. But you also might get some odd, weird, convoluted efforts at flattering secular science and naturalistic man who believes that there is no God, like the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. We're going to flatter those people because we're afraid of them. So we say that Behemoth and Leviathan might have been a crocodile and an elephant. If that is what might be mixed in with a commentary, with footnotes, Maybe I am throwing babies out with bathwater. In fact, I'm fairly certain I am, and I should probably reevaluate that. I don't think that mature-minded, intelligent, well-read, faithful men like J.P. Chavez are going to be taken for a ride or fooled or misled quite so easily as I might have been years ago, quite so easily as a lot of people. But then again, sometimes I get it twisted. And so then I'm just thinking in terms of my own propensity, 
for being deceived or confused or having the waters muddied. That's what I was trying to explain in episode 104. There was a good question, good comment from JP. Thank you again for that. Anybody else, if you hear me say something where you're just scratching your head, like, what is he talking about? It's possible that I didn't explain it very well. It's possible that I was being too flippant and I assumed too many things. Um, So by all means, ask. If I give offense needlessly, let me know about it. I'll try and correct my mistake or explain or something or give context. Context is king in the scriptures. Context is king also in our communication very often. So with all of that said, that's all we have for this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Tell your friends. Bring them. Have them listen as well. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. You should be able to find The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Subscribe to it. Also subscribe at thegarrettashleymulletshow.com. You'll get an email every time I post one of these episodes to my website. But until next time, thank you and God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.